0: So In my office, if you go back there now, you can see it's filled with plants. I just love philodendrons in particular because they're just so easy. You give them some sunlight and some water, and they just live. They're great that way. It makes me feel like I'm on the Appalachian Trail or something, I guess, just to have some living things around me. And I thought my plants were doing fine until one day Debbie Fails went in my office and said, your plants could use a little help. And I realized she was right. They'd struggled a little bit. So she's offered generously, hey, you want me to take one of them home at a time, nurture them, see what we can do with them? I was like, sure. So we have this little exchange program going now where I would plant a month, leaves my office. And and what I thought was fine, leaves, comes back from Miss Debbie's house, thriving stout, like a, like a completely different plant. And I realized, okay, what I thought was okay was just sickly and scrawny compared to what this is now. And I just love, thank you for what you're doing to bring some health and vitality to my office. And I just wonder if, as you think about your relationships, if there's some commonality there. The relationships with your family, uh, if you're in a romantic relationship, if it's a marriage, whatever, if, if, if you think it's okay but if you were honest and maybe you got some input from other people, you say, you know, it could be a lot better just with the right kind of attention. If you just work on this a little bit, it could flourish and this relationship could thrive. And I don't know where you're at in relationships. Here's something that I've discovered over time. Relationships rarely maintain themselves. Relationships hardly ever improve on their own. And you might say, well, there's two people in any relationship. And that is true, but I want you to think about it in this way you're one half of that relationship that you can control. So if your relationship's going to get better, it's on you. Relational growth and health is your responsibility. So that's what we're doing in this next series. Uh, it's complicated, but it doesn't have to be. We're just going to go to the Bible and say, well, what do we learn about improving our relationships? I have a question for you. Like, Where do you go right now to to get some relational advice? And maybe if you're fortunate, there's some people in your family that you look to, and you grew up with great mom and dad, and you, they were an awesome example to you. Maybe you got some friends that have uh, been a good example of what it means to be a good friend or to be in a romantic relationship that's healthy. And so if that's you, God bless you, and just be thankful to God for that. Because a lot of people today would say, I didn't have that. You know, where, where do they go for relational advice? Uh, that BuzzFeed article they read last month, uh, whatever they heard their friends saying, something they saw on a talk show. Maybe for some people, honestly, all it is is I look at whatever my family did and I just do the opposite. And I figure that's... A, you know, it's, it's interesting. A lot of people have been burned by relationships. And so what they've learned to do, and maybe this is you, you just keep people at an arm's distance. You, you don't let anybody get real close to you, whether it's romantically, friendship, work, relationship. You just keep it all up here on the surface, and this is what you've done. And you look at it, and you know this doesn't really work you know it's not great you know it could be better than that you even know that there's some dysfunction maybe and and at the same time you so much said as you were growing up or as an adult i'm not going to be like this and yet you find yourself replicating those things It's not wise. We even get it that it's not good. But sometimes we fall back to what we know and what's familiar. And a lot of times this is just a recipe for repeating the things that have happened before in our lives that we swore we would never do. So in this series, I want us to look at some fresh ways to run all of our relationships. I want to give you some real practical things from the scripture about how to improve whatever relationship you're talking about. And right now would be a good time to start thinking about what are the relationships in my life and how healthy are they? I'm going to tell you right now up front... I am not a relational expert, but I know someone who is. So I think between all of us and the Word of God and the Holy Spirit prompting you and leading you and, and the wisdom of Jesus, we can, we can see some health coming into all the relationships we have. So this, again, a challenge for you is just to think about what are the friendships and the, the other relationships I have in my life, my family, romantic, marriage? Is it possible that this could get better? I want to take you to a scripture. This is from the New Testament of the Bible. It was originally a letter that the Apostle Paul, a Christian leader, wrote to a church with some really good friends in this church. And in Philippians 2.5, he said, just gave some really good advice. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, which is a really high mark if you think about it. In everything that you do, in all of your relationships, you want to treat other people in the way that Jesus treated people in all of his relationships. And That's the measure of what we want. Just imitate Jesus. It's a target mindset. And the best thing that can happen in all of your relationships is to imitate that example. Now, I think it's something else that the Apostle Paul wrote to a different church. If you're in Philippians now, if you just go one page over, you're in Colossians. Now, the difference between these two churches is Paul had never met anyone in Colossae. Where, but he wrote this letter to them because he'd heard a lot of good things about them. He wanted to encourage them. So if you go down to Colossians chapter 1, and he just says these words to these people. So, we're going to leave the verse up here. And uh, I want to ask you, what is it that Paul says when I pray for you guys? I know I haven't met you, but I'm praying a lot. What does he pray for them? He was real specific. I'm praying that you will know God better. I'm praying that you will know God's will better. It's a fantastic prayer for them. What does Paul say is going to happen? Here's what I think is going to happen. If God fills you with a knowledge of who he is and what he's like, if you learn to imitate Jesus, Well, then he says, you're going to be like a fruit tree. I love this imagery. He said, if you sink your roots deep into God then the tree will thrive, and then it will produce great fruit in your life. You think of like a, a healthy peach tree out at Eckert's or an avocado tree on California. It's a tree that's healthy and doing well produces something that's a blessing to so many people. And your relationships as you dig deeply into God will be like that. That will be the fruit of knowing God. It'll just Anyone around you will be thankful when you show up. When you walk in the room, people don't roll their eyes and try to get away. They're actually happy you're there because things are just better when you're there. People enjoy being your friend. People in your relationship, your romantic relationship, feel like, I'm a better person because I know this person. That's the kind of thing Paul is praying for these Christians. That's the kind of thing that we would all say we want in our relationships. And this is what we're going to start talking about today. It's the foundation of where we're going here. It is that it starts with knowledge. For all of us, if we want to improve our relationships, it's certainly a knowledge of God. And then beyond that, it's a knowledge of the person you're in a relationship with. Now, um, that brings me to something right here. You've seen it already up here. Where I'm turning to besides the Bible is the work of a, a, an author and a psychologist, and he's also a Christian and done a lot of research. His name is Dr. John Van Epp, and uh, he's got a book called, I think it's called Building Better Relationships. Fantastic, and this is where I got this from. When I saw this and read this, everything just like clicked for me, and I hope it does that for you. He has the relational attachment model that he's gleaned together, pulled together out of a lot of his research. His area of focus as a psychologist was, what is it that really comes together to make a relationship work, that makes it healthy? And he identified these five things, knowing someone, trusting them, the level of reliance you have on each other, the level of commitment, and then touch. And all these areas come together in a marriage or in a friendship or in your family to give your uh, situation a very good, healthy basis. And uh, if if I say anything really good in this series, and it's not from the Bible, it was probably him. So just just know that. I think this is really phenomenal. And I want to just go through this really quick. Uh, We're talking about how well you know somebody. I want you to notice that all these elements come together to form a healthy relationship. They're progressive. As you get to know someone, only then can you decide if you trust them or not. And trust is an attitude that you hold. It's, it's a perception that you are somebody who's being honest with me. You are somebody who's actually competent at the things you say you are. And so because I trust you, then I decide I'm going to rely on you. Think of this just outside of any relationship relationship. Just think of it like your mechanic. You find somebody in the phone book. Over, You talk to some friends, and you figure out, have, do they do good work? Do they overcharge? And only then do you leave your car there. You ever been on vacation, and your car broke down, and you just have to take the shop that's closest to the interstate exit? I don't know you. I have no idea if I can trust you, but I have to give you my credit card in my car. <laughs> this is not a good start to a relationship. Only then, after you have these elements, can you decide if you want to commit to someone and then touch this area Obviously, in a a marriage relationship, in a romantic relationship, this is the hugs and kisses, it's physical intimacy. But it also, just in terms of your family, touches the hugs, the kisses, I love you, words of affirmation. In your friendships, like your best friend is that person you'll just tell those things to that you wouldn't tell anyone else. So this is just the most personal part of who you are. And there's a progression here. Now, as we go through these, we're going to look at this every week because I think you might find this to be very helpful. We're going to talk about the no slider. And as I said, you want to let this get higher before you start working your way down the chart in your relationship. This is, if you're not in a relationship right now, just tuck this away. And like if you're not in a romantic relationship, all of us are in a relationship in, of one way or another. But these can be applied in so many different ways. I want you to be thinking about how this applies, maybe with some new coworkers, or if you're starting a new school year and you're meeting some new people just any situation you find yourself in, I want you to think about how this could work. And here's what's interesting. Sometimes, have you ever observed this? The more you know about someone, maybe you started out and you thought, this is a really person I can really trust, but the more you know about them, you goes, no, you know, you burned me, and so I don't trust you. I'm not going to rely on you because, you know, three times you told me you'd be there at this time, but now I know that you have a problem with punctuality and you have a problem with, you know, remembering things. So the trust and the reliance level goes down. I want to illustrate something else. This is, I am not throwing rocks. I want you to hear me very clearly. I am not judging people, but the reality of my entire life, I grew up through the 70s and the 80s, has been this. Let me illustrate American culture. We meet someone, not we. Many people in American culture meet someone, and within the first few hours of knowing them, they go all the way up here uh, this is the hookup culture. This is the way life was. As a kid, I just watched a whole lot of people do this. And um, I can illustrate this perfectly. This is embarrassing, though, because to illustrate this, I have to admit to you that I've listened to country music before. <laughs> There's a younger version of me, the KC95 listening version of me, that says, oh, why country music? You swore you would never listen to that. You know the Carrie Underwood song, Last Name? Last Name? Anybody else want to admit they listened to country music several years ago? So she tells this story in this song about how she met this guy on the dance floor. She'd had too much to drink, and he called her baby and and cutie, and she thought that was awesome. And she said, it started out, hey, cutie, where are you from? And it ended up, oh, no, what have I done? And I don't even know his last name. As the song goes on, she says, I woke up in Vegas with memories of Elvis and a ring on my finger, and my mom would be so ashamed, but I don't even know my last name. She went from, I don't know his last name, to now I'm married to this guy that I just met. And this right here, it's funny to me, but it's not funny because this is what a lot of people do. Can you see how this might be a recipe for disaster when you really don't know if you can trust anybody, that person, or rely on them, and you you certainly have no commitment to them, and you've gone straight to sharing the most intimate parts of your life and self with someone else? So I, I think we need to look at this. I want to get practical here. This is a word for those of you who are single, or if you're single again, if you're single and ready to mingle, somewhere in there, let me just talk to you in terms of romance and this. This is 2021. You never go to a movie without seeing what somebody said on Rotten Tomatoes about it. You never go to a restaurant without checking out Yelp or what people say. Why would you do this in your relationships? Why would you share the most personal parts of your life with someone that you know less about than the last thing that you bought on Amazon? Again, I'm not throwing rocks. I just want us to think about what are we doing when we just go along with the flow of our culture that just says, this is okay, it doesn't hurt. I beg to differ. I see decades of relational damage from not respecting the way that God has created relationships to function. I like something that Pastor Timothy Keller said. He actually used an analogy of a sailboat, and I thought this was really good. He says that when a sailboat uh, does its best, it's because the person in the boat is respecting the design limitations of that sailboat. You take that sailboat out of the deep water into shallow water, it's going to wreck if you don't angle the, sh- the sail to the wind correctly, it's going to crash. You-, you have to respect the limitations to experience the true exhilarating freedom of sailing across the water so rapidly. You know this is true even with your own physical body. You know, God has put some physical limitations upon us. If you don't respect the physical limitations of of your body, you're going to end up in physical therapy, or you're going to have surgery on that knee that you blew out, or, you know, you're going to have long-term consequences because of things that you didn't pay attention to at the time you should have. Think about this in terms of relationships. God created us with some relational limitations, and when we disregard those, this is when relational crashes happen. I'm not poking my finger in a bruise for you. I just want you to think about, are there some things in my past that have hurt me that going forward, God wants to help me change? Are there some people that I love that I need to say some hard truth to because they're hurting themselves? And maybe you're experiencing some uh, regrets around relationships. And maybe today is a day where God says, let's learn a new way to do things here. So that's a word to the single among us. I'm just saying the relational crashes don't come out of nowhere. Now I want to switch gears because singles, you're off the hook. Let's talk about married couples for a second. So if you're married right now, this is for you. Uh, I want you to know that these things still matter when you're married. You might think, okay, I'm done. We got across the line. We committed to each other. We had high commitment. We stood at the altar and said, till death do us part. We know each other. We know everything about each other. We trust each other. We can rely on each other. Hopefully there's a lot of touch in your marriage. We're married. We're great. And probably you are for a while. But here's something you need to know about these sliders. They're like sliders on an EQ. They don't stay put. Life has a way of messing with these. And you know what in a marriage will mess with these quicker than anything? Is when two becomes three. Some of you can remember those days. Some of you are living those days. You introduce a third person into the relationship when you have a baby. And that, that little girl has a schedule of her own. And it functions somewhere around the time that you would prefer to be sleeping. It's 2 in the morning, and they decide it's time to eat. It's time to have my diaper changed, all that stuff. And you're just thinking, Lord, I would pay someone a million dollars if I could just sleep for a little while longer, right? And so you, as a mom, maybe the mom gets up, and she's going to take care of the baby, and dad stays in bed and prays for her. <laughs> and that's fine once or twice. But after a week or two of that, and you just are so tired, you can't even stand up straight. And mom says, I really thought I knew him, but I realized I don't know him at all. I don't know who you are anymore. I thought you would be there for me when I needed you. And I can't trust you to do, I certainly can't rely on you to get up and take care of the baby. And sadly, what does that do to touch? These things are in constant motion. Even when you're married, you're not done just because you said, I do this takes constant work. And this may be something where you go, oh, okay, some things are starting to make more sense to me now. And through your entire marriage, you never stop learning to know one another and who you are. Here's a word for the people who are married. You're not the same person your spouse married. They're not the same person you married. And that's okay. If you find yourself saying, I don't even know who this person is anymore, well, they changed and so did you. Life does that. You don't have the same interests you had on the day you got married. You don't have the same work circumstances, and you've experienced different things. And these things change you over time. That's okay. All that means is if you haven't been spending the hard work and effort of getting to know each other at every new stage of your relationship, you've got some catching up to do. And it may feel like we've grown apart, but I'm telling you, divorce is not your only option at this point. You have the wonderful privilege of getting to know, again, this person you already committed to. And if you'll think about it in the right way, this can be a gift to you. Because this person, you committed to them once. You can stay committed to them and rediscover them. And there's so many good things that could happen if you will just trust God to help you at this point and this stage in this uh, season of your relationship to say, it's going to get better. We're going to work hard to get to know each other again. With God's grace, I've seen so many relationships turn around that you would say, there's just no way this is going to happen. It's just not going to work. How do you do that? Let me get really practical. I think this is from Dr. John Van Et, but this is just relationship one-on-one. How do you continue to get to know people? It's the three T's of relationships. Talking together over time. There is no substitute for spending time together talking. You can't shortcut it. You can't accelerate it. Uh, It's kind of like the joke, you can't put nine ladies together and have a baby in one month. There's just some things that just take time. And this is one of them. If you want to grow in the area of knowledge of one another, or if it's even in your relationship with God, time together talking is how you do it. Have you heard of the 90-day rule? I don't see him. Some of you are thinking, oh, I know what this is. This is not the Steve Harvey 90-day rule. He's got this thing where he tells ladies, don't sleep with the guy for the first 90 days of your relationship. This is a great way to weed out the jerks. I think he's on to some there. I think I'd extend it a little further out. I'd say let's wait till we're committed and married to one another to get into physical intimacy. That's what God's design is. But he's got a point, but that's not the 90-day rule. The 90-day rule is more of, and this is from the research. When people start dating one another in a romantic relationship, invariably, one or more of the people in the relationship, one or both of them, will discover something about the other that's a deal breaker within the first 90 days. Half of all relationships end in the first 90 days based on something you find out about your romantic partner. And what happens if you've gone straight here before even 90 days? There's just no substitute for time. You just uh, I had no idea that you felt this way about this thing. It's kind of important to me, and apparently it's not important to you. I had no idea you were a Cubs fan. This is a deal-breaker for me. You should have led with that. There's, there's things that you just... You don't, I've been asking people, this is like an informal poll. I've just been saying, like, how long do you think somebody should know each other before they commit to marriage? And I've been getting lots of answers from anywhere from six months, year, two years. Uh, It's it's good. I'm glad people are thinking that way. Because you need to see someone in all the seasons, in all the seasons of life. And to see things about them. If you're dating, this is just a word to you, if you're thinking about this as something you like, you, I would like to get married at some point, you really need to see someone and just spend time talking. What's important to you? And this is what happens. You figure out do we have chemistry or not? Do we like the same things or not? Do we have a similar sense of humor? Do you make me laugh? Do I make you laugh? Uh, how do you treat other people? I, that's important. Do they have good relational and emotional intelligence? Do we share the same common values? Do we think the same things are important? Do we have a faith in Jesus that's similar? Do we, you know, or is religion and faith not important to you at all? You've got to find these things out. These are the kinds of questions you ask. You don't want to commit to somebody that you don't know very well. well. How do you get to know them? You talk. Because this is the only thing talking together over time that gets past the very first things in a relationship. When you first meet that special someone, and you get the butterflies in your stomach, and all the chemicals are running through, and all you're thinking about is, what does she look like? What does he do? You got to get past that superficial stuff. I like something that happened in the Old Testament. It's a good example of this. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, God says to the prophet Samuel, Samuel we're going to get a new king for Israel. I want you to go to Jesse's farm in Bethlehem. And one of his sons is going to be the next king of Israel. So Samuel went there to Jesse's house. And as soon as he got there, and he, uh, he saw Eliab, which was Jesse's oldest son, he thought, well, man, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But look at 1 Samuel sixteen seven. The Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height. I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And this is how David became the next king of Israel, Jesse's youngest son, because God doesn't look at what you look like. He gets past that. And this is the the lesson for us. We want to really know who we are at the most deepest levels before we move on in this relationship. We want to see, do we have all the things that it takes? And you might be thinking, okay, this is great. I wish you had told me that before we got married, Brian, because we're stuck with each other. No, you're not. If you are dating or if you're thinking you want to date in the future, this is something to keep in mind. But if you're married, this is just your opportunity to rediscover the person you are married to. Trust me, what I have observed is you can know someone for decades and there's still mysteries and delightful things to learn about them. So, have you ever been, like, if you are married, you ever been with your spouse talking to somebody else and they say something and you just stop, like, I have literally never heard that story before from you. And they just told somebody else. Or I didn't have any idea you felt that way about this. You ever been surprised with something that your partner says? This is why you never assume you know everything. There are, to the end of your life, there are amazing treasures to discover in your partner if you will just go in with the attitude of, I'm just going to make it my job. I'm going to make it my mission to get to know you better. I love this uh, verse here. It's in Philippians again. The Apostle Paul writing to his friends, chapter 2, verse 2. He says, here's what I want you to do. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in mind. My question to you is, this begs the question, if we're supposed to be like-minded and of one mind, how can you be like-minded and one-minded with someone that you really don't know that well? And I'm not just talking about your marriage partner now. I'm talking about anyone, friends here at church. We're in this church family together. I'm I'm not poking again, but I'm going to get in your business a little bit. If you show up at church right at church time and leave as soon as church is over, you're cheating yourself and you're cheating us out of getting to know the wonderful person that you are. God put us together in this church family for a reason. Let's explore who we are together. When Paul wrote these words to be like-minded and have the same love, he was talking to a church family, first of all. I want you to think about in all the relationships of my my life, how can I focus more on getting to know the people that God has placed around me? Let me just uh, give you a a very quick practical tip, and I want you to do something with this. This week, I want you to make a time on your calendar where you're going to huddle up with the people who are most important to you literally put it on the calendar, and here's what I want you to do. And you can laugh at me if you want, but I want you to do this. Take your cell phone and leave it in an entirely different room than where you're at. It's possible. Believe me, it is. Just forget that you have it for a moment. Just huddle up with your family, with your spouse, and just start talking. If you're doing this right, you're going to have already thought about what's a day in my calendar where we can go to coffee, where we can go get some dinner, where we can sit down and turn Netflix off and just do this. This is important. It starts here. How well do you know the people in your life and are you going to work on that? I like what Pastor Tim Keller says. Let me read this to you. He says, to be loved but not known, it's comforting but it's superficial. To be known but not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness. And it fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Every great dating relationship, every great friendship, every work relationship, every marriage starts by knowing one another truly to say, I authentically know who you are and I love you and I accept you. That's the truth of our first and primary relationship, the one that we have with God. I want you to think about this. Who other than God truly knows who you are? God knows exactly who you are. He knows everything about you, things that no one else knows about you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he loves you and he accepts you. Let me read a scripture for you. First John 4:16. We know and we rely on the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever lives in love lives in God and God lives in them. I want you to know this kind of love. I want you to experience the relationship that comes when God is your father and Jesus is your brother, and the Holy Spirit is in you. I want you to know what it's like to be a part of a family like this, truly accepted, and that you belong, and nothing's ever going to change that. I want you to know that. I want you to say yes to the love that God has for you. Will you consider what that would look like? And we're going to move through our relationships, and it may be complicated, but it doesn't have to be. God can improve anything. Will you start praying now and start thinking about what you're going to do to embrace this? Let me pray for you right now. Father, we do know and we do rely on the love you have for us. I pray for people who are right now listening to this and who still question that, who wonder if you do love them. Will you just convince them in the the deepest part of their soul that, that you have already known them and you've already made up your mind to accept them, that all of us are changed by your love. I pray that you would grow our relationships so that we will know you, that we will know the love that Christ has for us, that we will know that there is such hope for our future. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Brian.